Hello and uh, welcome to uh, Cut and Splice. My name is Gil. This is Jason. And Matt. And today uh, we're going to be doing our um, double feature episode where we discuss two movies. We wanted to discuss uh, the two Blade Runners, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. And this was uh, something that ever since we started this podcast has always been on my mind because I've had a a hate-hate relationship with the original Blade Runner in spite of uh, many attempts of trying to revisit it and not understanding the uh, uh, the obsession that people have with it as, as some timeless sci-fi classic. And this really disturbs me as a sci-fi guy. Uh, and, and then I did see Blade Runner 2049, which, which was better. I enjoyed it. I like Denis. And, uh, but... It had some similar issues, and I felt like now that there's two of them, it might be interesting to discuss it and, and get opinions, especially opinions that are different than mine, and sort of hash it out uh, to see where, where where it takes us. Hopefully everybody knows uh, these movies. Well, we can do a quick um, recommendation of them and, and what we think about them and maybe, maybe rankings, and then we'll get into... Um, deeper analysis with spoilers how was it for um for you guys to to rewatch these movies recently fun <laughs> okay concise compendious for yeah. two very long movies okay it's like one very long movie and one uh um uh, pretty long movie it's uh yeah the first Quick one reaction. feels longer than the second one yeah see that's already one point no, although I think they feel just about the same, but 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 the fact that uh, twenty forty nine is almost an hour longer is just to show how slow the uh, and really? and to my taste, yeah, it's like one fifty seven for Blade Runner and two hour forty four minutes for twenty forty nine. Wow, I'm just looking at the pages right now. You're right. That's a good, yeah, basically fifty minutes longer. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and if, you'd, I if you'd asked me right, like one minute ago, just to guess what the times were on them, I would have said that Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the sequel, is like maybe ten minutes longer. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, and and I can, because that's one of my main issues with the original is that I've always found it very boring, but not two thousand one boring. Um, no, I just found not. it boring, boring, boring. <laughs> uh, I I just. I always thought that it's, you know, I, I love Chinatown. It's one of my favorite movies. And it's a detective story. And Blade Runner, it's a neo-noir technically because it's in color. It's sci-fi. Come on, this should be fascinating, captivating stuff. And I'm like on my fifth watch of it. I think I've seen it at least four or five times. Not because I like it, but because I keep giving it more and more chances. I I, I think I've liked it the best on this viewing, because I really try to pay attention, but I just think that it's kind of boring. And yes, I, I'm a big, big um, Ridley Scott hater. Uh, I, I I think he's overrated. I just read an article where he was considered one of the top directors, like top 10 directors where Scorsese wasn't mentioned. So come on. Wow. Um, but I'll give him credit. I love Alien. Alien is a good movie, and I think Blade Runner came right after Alien. Um, I think he's made more more. Uh, I think I think Ridley Scott has made more movies that I enjoyed 
I'm trying to even say how to, how to phrase this concisely. I think I like more of Ridley Scott's movies than I like Martin Scorsese's movies. So, you know, they both have great movies, but, you know, there's that to be said. You said you, you like more? More more of them. Of Ridley Scott's movies? Yeah. I can, I can understand. I mean, he's like big movie action director, and, and you like those kind of movies. And I'll give him credit. He does ones that try to have substance <laughs> you know ones wow. that you know the ones that <laughs> they're not pure dumb action movies like there's something there like gladiator and some of those but i i just don't know i, I think what it is and this is a good and we can get deeper into it with the spoilers but but i think 2049 is, is almost it's almost like a film school thing you can do an analysis of these two movies and, and i can beat by beat like show you how Denis creates tension in the slowness, where tension is not really created in Ridley's slowness. And I think that's what's always been soulless for me for Ridley Scott movies is that, and maybe it only works in Alien because Alien is like a horror movie. So there there's built in tension because there's a, a, a fucking, you know, human killing machine on the on the ship. And they can't find it. They don't know what it looks like. It's all really terrifying stuff. So it's he's got built-in tension there. But otherwise, it's just like not great. It's just not great at, at creating tension. There's way more tension in 2001. Definitely more than Blade Runner and maybe some of his other movies. And 2001 is super slow. But well, yes, far. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll say this much. I definitely don't hate Ridley Scott. I like his movies for the most part. He has some duds every now and then for sure. Um, and I do think in a general sense, it, it would not, I wouldn't argue with someone if they were just kind of trying to make a general statement of like Ridley Scott's overrated. Like I'd be like, ah, you know, there's some, definitely some fairness to that, you know, in some ways, cause he's such a well-known director and everything. And I would definitely agree with you that despite the fact that I do like Ridley Scott a lot more than you do, uh, I definitely will just say in general that that the sequel, uh, Blade Runner 2049, is a better movie than Blade Runner. Yeah, and, and maybe I can feed something into to get Matt's opinion, because to, to me, one way to explain this, I think Ridley Scott is a good technician. He came up in the commercial world, I think, and and he's a very visual director, and you know, cinematography is always good in his movies, and that's always very strong. But if you compare him to other master technicians, like a Spielberg or a Fincher or even Denis, um, Nolan, what do all those guys have in common? They have a voice. They have a very distinct voice and style. Um, Spielberg is, is magical. He's warm. He's childlike. Uh, and his curiosity, the curiosity of the camera, the, you know, Fincher is dark, he's mysterious, he really gets deep into, like, the, the recesses of, of the dark recesses of, of humanity, almost like in a Kubrick way, but, but yeah, that's definitely some similarities there. And, uh, and Denis, and Denis also, he's, He's very curious. He's very like patient. He's very he's like a student of the scene. And you see that, you read that, like every arrival 
2049, Sicario, you, it oozes through the image. You see that. Uh, Hitchcock is another one. You just see, you know, like a Hitchcock movie. I can kind of tell a Ridley Scott movie, but not in a good way. It's just, yeah, it's done well. <laughs> it's just like, but there's no soul to it. There's no specific, it's just, it's done well. You know, no Nolan, come on, Nolan is like so intense, so uh puzzle oriented. Everything, every scene, every every script with him is a puzzle. He's a man of puzzles and playing with time. They all have personalities. Ridley just knows how to put up a nice image. I think he should have been a cinematographer. I know that he's had an amazing career mm. as a director, but I think he would have been like top ten cinematographer of all time. <laughs> and then um, the movies that he's made probably would have been slightly better if somebody else directed him. <laughs> well, I, I think you bring up an interesting point because there, there's also a consistency in Spielberg and Denny Villeneuve and um, uh, I think even Scorsese. And that, well, okay, Spielberg has just worked with Janusz Kaminski for the like since Schindler's List. Denny has mostly worked for worked with uh, Roger Deakins, uh, with a few exceptions, like Arrival, uh, where he worked with Bradford Young, and all these guys either just hired cinematographers who already just kind of did what they already wanted to have done. I mean, especially with Spielberg, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, finally, after working with Alan Davio, after working with, uh, you know, all the guys that he's worked with in the past, uh, Dean Cundy, so on and so forth, he gets Janusz Kaminski and he works the way that Spielberg wants and he produces the images that Spielberg wants. With Ridley Scott, I, I actually think that there is a, a real question here. Is he visually so diverse of a director that he needs to keep changing out cinematographers in order to match his vision? Or are the cinematographers that he's hiring dictating the vision? Certainly because, a, a legitimate question. <laughs> Well, I think I think with Spielberg, you definitely see because you mentioned that he swapped a lot of cinematographers over the years. He just had a long career, and Ridley Scott too. That could be one reason. Mm -hmm. And that's the a nice observation about directors is that he has a very specific look with Kaminsky because that's his lighting, Kaminsky's lighting. Spielberg doesn't have a lighting style. He has a camera angles, movement, um, lens choices yeah. style. Like his movies from Duel up until today are all Spielberg movies as far as the use of camera. But the lighting itself evolved over the years based on who he worked with until, you know, he stuck with Kaminsky. Fincher, for example, uh, is an example of someone who, who it doesn't matter whose DP is working with, it's always going to look like Fincher's lighting. Like it basically, because I, yeah. I think he's that specific about his lighting that it's it's not just the camera movement that's Fincher, it's, it's also the lighting. Um, and obviously, I'm sure the DP gets some word in as well. But but yeah, but but Ridley, uh, 
I wonder, I don't know what your opinion about that, but I think he, I'll give him credit for being a chameleon. He definitely has a lot of different styles. He's very adaptable and he can work with a lot of different cinematographers and always get very good results. He is like a, a poor man's Fincher. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to shit on him or anything. I really think he's an amazing director, not top 10. But, you know, I, I, I think he's extremely talented and it shows in the movies that he's yeah. made. Come on. But, but there's something about it. I, I, I'm trying to compare him to other directors to illustrate it, but his movies are kind of, they don't have much in them. Like, I, I really am trying to think of movies of him that I really was like, except for Alien, which again, it's a, it's a horror movie. It's, it's a scary movie in space. It's fun, but yeah. it's not as if it's like something profound <laughs> yeah, outside of alien there's at least one major gripe that i have with just about all of his movies i mean like even with gladiator i mean you have printed pamphlets what 1700 years before the invention of the printing printing press yeah. uh so i i mean it, it I, I mean even with his great movies there are like little nitpicky things and upon revisiting Blade Runner, the standout to me was Jordan Cronin with. I, I, I mean, the cinematography in that movie is fucking brilliant. It sure is. It's, yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. it's just perfect. It is. It, I, I mean, <laughs> the, the weirdest thing w uh, about re revisiting these movies for me was that I actually thought that Jordan Cronin did a better job than Roger Deakins did. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, I that's a that's a, yeah. Uh, I, I, I I'm not sure. I I think it's different. And and Deakins yeah. said that like he's not Cronin Jordan, Jordan. Yeah, it, Cronin yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, the name, but but yeah, no, no. He's not to mention it was shot digitally, right? And um, um, no, it's a very different look. Uh, yeah, but, it, but it still no, goes no, into uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it's it's different, but I, there's just so much nuance to it. It's so complex. It's so meticulous. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's like the Bills versus the Chiefs. It's it's right down to the wire in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah. how these guys performed. One thing that did uh, stick out to me, uh, not to get into the technical stuff too early because I already did. Was, I mean, I remember the first time that I watched this movie and, you know, I was, I was in high school. I was a teenager. I was an idiot. I'm, I, I see a movie called Blade Runner and it's got Harrison Ford right there on the poster holding a gun. And I figure this has got to be like a badass sci-fi action movie. Yeah. So my first time through it, I, I was really disappointed because it was this slow, methodical science fiction movie that really only had a couple of action scenes in it. Watching it later, I mean, obviously it, it went much higher on my list of movies that I would recommend. Uh, it still falls short of Blade Runner 2049. I don't know if this is one of the earliest uh, problems that I've ever had with advertising because I, I mean, I, I, I remember looking at the VHS 
copy that I was renting from Hollywood video and thinking, oh, geez, this is going to be an action packed, badass, you know, piece of movie. And uh, it, it was not that. But um, uh, so it's, it's taken a lot of uh, my brain grinding to get the movie into the place that it was actually trying to be. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, I, I, I think I've said before on the podcast that, um, you know, 2001, the first few times I watched it, I thought it was super boring. Citizen Kane too, and and then I, I got older and I appreciated them more. But I think this movie is different. I do think that it's got some issues. Like I, I do think that it still has the violence, it still has the action, but but even the action is laborious. <laughs> like I don't know, it's just uh, or, or overdone in some ways. I think Jason like. Um, um, we'll get into it with the spoilers and stuff, but um, Jason alluded to it at some point. Um, in any case, um, yeah, but so it sounds like both of you, which is the, the biggest, you know, nail in the coffin of Blade Runner is that the fact that a timeless classic, as far as most people, most, but most people consider like top five science fiction movie of all time for three out of three, <laughs> you know, of us, that's got to be like a nail in the coffin. Like, it can't be that's just a random sequel is going to be... It's as if somebody decided to, like, uh, you know, make Jaws 2.0 and it was actually better than the original, you know. Well, um, I don't know. I kind of feel like in a way that's... I don't disagree with any particular point that you've said, Gil. And it's true, you know, that it... it I guess that does say something that all three of us prefer the, uh, the sequel or something like that. But... Um, I mean, it's not like, I mean, you just said uh, that a random sequel. I mean, this is not like the case with like Critters 4 being better than Critters and Critters 2. You know, I mean, th that's that's like, that's a random sequel that just happened to be better. You know, I mean, this is like the only sequel that has been made to this movie. And it was made by a great fucking director. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I'm trying to find a comparison, but it is a good point. Uh, I, so, something that I was thinking about uh, sorry if i cut you off no. um but uh, something that i was thinking about was i mean again like this movie's status as um a classic uh the original uh not not the the sequel and just kind of coming to the realization that when i was re-watching it uh in preparation i hadn't seen it in like seven years uh, I, I mean, it it had just not been on my rewatch list. And when it comes to movies that I regard as masterpieces, usually they're going to be movies that I rewatch at least once every two years. Hmm. Or they're going to be movies that... Uh, like maybe Schindler's List or Come and See that I'm only going to rewatch once every decade because they are a punch in the fucking gut and I just don't want to put myself through that mm. unless I have to. <clears throat> and Blade Runner is neither a movie that I feel compelled to revisit once every two years, nor is it a movie that is a gut punch 
that I feel only compelled to subject myself to once or twice a decade. I mean, I, I know that the narrative is supposed to be like, Oh, Blade Runner, one of the best movies ever made, but I'm just thinking about how I respond to the movies that are supposed to be masterpieces that I've seen. And I am not responding to Blade Runner in any way that would resemble me thinking that it's a masterpiece. Well, let me attempt to, uh, to defend this movie a little bit here, because I mean, again, I, I, I think it's important to stress <laughs> that I okay. don't, I, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying, but um, I mean, I, I don't know if I would consider it a masterpiece. I know that many people do for sure. There's definitely yeah. like a, a cult following. And I don't even know if that's the right. Yeah. I guess that is the right phrase, phrase for it because I don't think that the movie made a, a, a massive amount of money when it first came out. Anyway, to me, uh, I would say that a lot of Blade Runner's success and popularity uh, might come from the fact that, uh, like, timing, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. we, uh, this, we're talking about a movie that, uh, you know, was made in 1982. So just before I was born, <laughs> we all grew up in, uh, you know, uh, mostly in the 90s, a little bit in the 80s, you know, um, and everything. I mean, can you guys, I, I guess I'll put it this way. Gil, you you mentioned on a previous um, episode talking about uh, how one of the, one of the aspects that you see, one of the, the themes, I guess, that is brought up in a lot of science fiction, like Ex Machina and stuff like that, and is brought up in many movies. It's it's uh, addressed in many movies, tackled in many movies and stories and books. Uh, is the whole notion of like trying to create a narrative that explores what it is to be human, and obviously that's what this movie is. But can you think of a big blockbuster size, like large budget, successful movie that was made before this one? that did a good job of tackling that issue because i i was trying to think of one and i could think of plenty that came after it but i can't think of any that came before it that were addressing that issue so maybe that has to do with the that's one of the reasons why people like it so much is that it was just the first one to really do that well uh, that's questionable but we should get into that I mean, um, I'm, I'm asking, I, I couldn't, I was kind of like searching around a little bit. I looked through my movies. I thought about all the stuff I've seen. I can't think of an older film than in 1982 that, uh, that really took on that issue. Yeah, no, I'm mostly talking about like, I don't know if something came before, but I just mean about like about doing it well. But, but yeah. yes, I think it's getting into themes and everything. So yeah, I, I think we should, um, probably get into spoilers i'll say my rankings quickly um i i ranked them six and seven um 2049 being the seven and (laughs) and you know i can be convinced um you know i I could be convinced to bump it up to seven and eight like i i i and we need to get into that into more detail with the spoilers what's my theory about both these movies and when i watched 2049 i was like oh my god they did it again only slightly better um wow. and and why to me they're like a bit hollow both movies are 
not so much 2049, but but those are my ratings. And uh, and but yeah, I, I can be convinced. So if you want to if you want to give your ratings, uh, we can move on to the spoilers and talk about the, you know, the the allure, I guess, of the original Blade Runner and and why I might disagree with it. Matt. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. OK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, original. Seven, twenty forty nine, eight and a half. Now, now, uh, now, eight. Sorry, I, I just remembered that there are movies like Ex Machina and episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, like Measure of a Man, <laughs> Measure of a Man, that oh, are better. Are, I, I already know where you're going now. This is terrible. Oh, this is going <laughs> to so... be so annoying to listen to. Yeah. All right. Morning, let's everyone. let's try to keep keep Star Trek off. Keep Star Trek off the. Oh my wait, god. Let's stick to movies. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Good God. Oh. <laughs> I would um, like to note as a as a quick uh, side note. No, actually, you go, Jason. Then I'll say it. Okay. Um, I think that the first Blade Runner. When I think of all its positive qualities, I'm I would. I would be tempted to do give it like a really strong like nine. And then I think of all the problems I have with it and that drags it down to like an eight. I could even be tempted to say like a seven and a half, but, um, but I, 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 having just watched it, I just, I really did enjoy watching it again. Um, despite the fact that it's really slow and, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's got some serious problems that, that really drag it down for me. So, um, Despite the yeah, that's where I'd put it. I, I put it at a, a a week eight. The um, the sequel I'd easily put it at nine. Wow, that's uh, that's high yeah. praise. And I think you uh, did you rate rated? We all rated it the best of Denise movies, right? Uh, I think when we talked, where I was having just listened to that arrival episode that we did, uh, I think I put it at the best of Denny's. And I think I made a snide little comment about uh, about saying until Dune comes out, and I'm very disappointed yeah. to say that uh, Blade Runner is still definitely Denny's best movie because uh, Dune was extremely disappointing. So anyway, yeah, and I might have contradicted myself without uh, uh, without knowing in advance that I was going to contradict myself, but uh, eh, oh well. You know, I'll let the internet eviscerate me. Um, About what? Contradict yourself? Huh? Uh, 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 in, in my rating, like I might have oh. given Blade Runner a, a higher rating in the previous Denny conversation than. Uh, oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'll say <laughs> I, I messed up because uh, I, I just looked it up and because I wanted to make sure. And Arrival, I remember I, I rated a seven because of my issues with it. And I, I did rate Sicario an eight, and I think that it's more of a seven. But I think the reason why Sicario is rated a higher, even though I think Blade Runner is his best movie, or is let's say best accomplishment, I would say Blade mm. Runner. Uh, but Sicario is, is possibly a better accomplishment than Blade Runner, mm. because for me, because if he made me really like a movie about drugs. <laughs> you know, and about like cartels and whatnot and uh, stuff that really doesn't interest me at all. 
I think that's why I rated it an eight. Like just just for the fact that he made it so interesting, something that I, I really wouldn't find interesting under most circumstances. So, and that's again, that's just like a uh, just showing how a good director can really take a subject matter and make it appealing to a lot of people. Um, you know, like just as by making it so so compelling. Um, mm. So yeah. Uh, but one thing I was going to say about the two movies is that they are neck to neck as far as like IMDb and and the critics because um, the um, and this is more appropriate I think like the 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 original is eight point one on IMDb and the sequel is eight point zero and then the critics rated it uh, eighty four and, and then the uh, the the original sorry and then the sequel is eighty one. So like, and that makes sense. This is makes sense. Like what I said about the original being a masterpiece. Like I think it was very tough for people to like say, yeah, the, the sequel is good, but it's not a masterpiece. It's not a, an all time classic. It can't be. It just came out in 2017. You know, like it needs time huh. to cook to like sit in people's mind. But I think we will be victorious. I think in 10, 20 years, People will go back and watch 2049. They're not going to go back and see Blade Runner. I, I I really think that 2049 will be like more of an... If you want to watch a movie that takes a detective story and really sinks it deep into like a, a, a freaky, futuristic version of LA, I'm going to spend those two hours and 44 minutes with the sequel, not the two hours with the original. I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, one, uh, one right. thing... Uh, one thing that kind of stuck out to me too was uh, it, it occurred to me that um, I actually hadn't watched the movies back to back yet before we were prepping for this. And there, there's actually a deliberate reason for that. I, I, when I'm going to see a sequel of a well-known movie, I actually consciously and deliberately don't watch the original movie just so I can go into the sequel and judge it as a standalone movie. <laughs> I, I don't want it to be something that's like stuck in my head that, you know, like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm comparing this to what happened before, because that seems more like I'm watching television rather than watching a movie. You go to a movie to watch the damn movie. You don't go to a movie to watch, you know, the the next, uh, the next step in 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 the cliffhanger. And that sounds to me. huh? <laughs> I, was just saying, I I don't mean to criticize. It's just it sounds like you're going out of your way to. I don't, I don't know. That just sounds really dumb. It's very dramatic. I mean, it's, just... it's a sequel. What, who cares? <laughs> I, 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 so you I want can. to tell me that before you watched Jaws 2, you didn't watch the first Jaws in preparation? I <laughs> I, 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 I never watched Jaws 2. So, yeah, no, you know, no. I'm but, That's dumb. I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't watch the original Painted Veil before I went to see the remake of Painted Veil. Well, that's, uh, that's different. Uh, yeah, but... Um, I can see actually, uh, you know, um, like, you know, I, I'm not sure I didn't, I think like most people like a Terminator two, I watched before I watched Terminator one <laughs> and then to go back and watch it. Cause I, cause the first one was such a small 
movie that nobody heard about, or at least, you know, I don't know, in Israel, it yeah. wasn't like a big thing, or at least I was too young. And so, so I can see people maybe before seeing Terminator 2, if they're like teenager at the time, they, they went back and saw the original. Yeah. I saw Terminator 2 first, but not because of any, like, I don't know. It wasn't like a, like a conscious choice. It's just that, uh, my parents had like a VHS recorded copy of Terminator two, I think, or something like that. And I, I don't know, I'm not even sure how I saw it, but, um, I know that I, I was allowed to see Terminator two because even though it's easily just as violent of a movie, like most of the violence is happening to the two robots when they're inflicting damage on each other. And like Arnold doesn't actually kill anybody in the whole movie. You know, and most of the stuff that the that uh, Robert Patrick does is like like impaling somebody and something like that. You know, it's it's when you think about it, the the first movie has a lot more like blood, like human body parts and stuff in it. So, okay, yeah, okay. So I guess <laughs> uh, are we officially on spoilers. I will start with spoiler. yeah, spoiler oh, yeah. for anyone who's never seen Terminator Two. Uh, and Terminator <laughs> Two, <laughs> yeah. But uh, as far as the Blade Runners. Um, yeah, so, um, I want to get to Jason's thing. Let's do Jason's thing quickly, because Jason, that's one thing, um, I think you said at some point about there's the scene where he's chasing, uh, I think it's Daryl Hannah's character. Oh, um, yeah, what about the original? Yeah. So, uh, didn't you make a comment that, that it was a little bit over the the top, that she slams into the glass or something? No, not that it was over the top. I was just mentioning the fact that it's good that we're watching the final cut, because if you watch the theatrical cut, you can clearly see that, um, that the person running through the glass is like a big male stuntman. Oh, so they fixed it in the final cut. Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing, because they they wanted to go into dramatic slow motion while he's shooting at her and her body is flying through the panes of glass and stuff like that and obviously they're not going to have um uh whatever that actress was you know Daryl Hannah Daryl Hannah yeah uh wasn't Daryl Hannah the other one no the original yeah i mean the other woman uh am i, am I think I it was Daryl Hannah Daryl Hannah was the 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 criminal like uh, um uh, uh, Sean no, Young like, was the Daryl Sean Hannah. Young was the no, 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 was no, no, Rachel. No, no, no. Daryl Hannah is Pris. Yeah. The, yes. The the one running through the glass was Zora. Oh right. Oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah. No, no you're right. I suck. Yeah. I yeah, suck. Yeah, that was the the, the stripper. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah. Joanna Cassidy. Yeah, with the snake. Right. I completely like confused the two. You obviously well, know the movie. Uh, I mean, me. um, it's all right. Anyway, um. Point is that uh, it's one of the best things that they were able to fix using modern technology was to digitally kind of like tighten up and fix that stuff and make it look like um, like the actress, Joanna Cassidy, and not like some stunt person running through the glass and stuff. So that that's all I was talking about. But yes, uh, I mean, I think you were kind of hint- talking about the fact that there's just the action is, well, I, I think we all probably but had did a she... similar thing. Sorry? But did she need to run through so many glass, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like I mean, uh, ask Ridley. panels? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of, like, our, our other double uh, feature episode, uh, you know, with uh, how Michael Mann went berserk with uh, William Peterson, like, jumping through the glass. Oh, oh, <laughs> and, yes, uh, yes, yes. 
<laughs> I, in any as case, you said that, it, I was like, I was trying to think of somebody jumping through glass in, in the Princess Bride. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I almost feel like the whole jump the shark, you know, the the Fonzie thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there should be a version of it for movies, like the, the he he broke the glass, or like you know, like when a character like jumps through glass, you kind of went too far. You just like you, you went a bit too far with the action there. You didn't need to break through glass to like you know, oh he crashed down. But here was multiple glasses. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but that's like one minor issue of of many. Um, the other one. And we can get into that. Uh, they could lead into what you were talking about, the um, what the movie's about, the themes. Is my theory about these two movies, and it got solidified when I watched 2049, is these are basically, and they're not the only ones in history of filmmaking, but but they're basically exercises in aesthetics. Uh, it's um, it's kind of like what we said about Inception being Nolan's. Um, you know, perfect movie because it's it's a maze. It looks like the, the the you know the the design for like his company's production company's like uh, logo. Like it was designed to be a Nolan movie, similar with Tenant. He plays with time, so he took a movie and just like you know completely jumbled like what time is. He did it with it, a few other movies. Suits Ridley Scott, and maybe even suits Denis to some degree. But Ridley Scott is a very visual director. He knows how to shoot a movie. I don't think he can knows how to put a scene dramatically amazingly. He can he's in, he's competent. <laughs> it plays, but but he just really knows how to shoot stuff to make it look cool. Uh, as far as creating tension, working with actors to create great performances, I just don't think he's that good. He's not good as Denis, I feel like. Um, so, so yeah, and, and I felt like what he did with Blade Runner, I was like, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to fuck up L.A. I'm going to make it, it's going to be always dark. It's almost like Dark City. Like, what's up? Like, the sun is never out. It's fucking yeah. L.A. And uh, it's always dark. And, and like, there's rain all the time, which also doesn't fucking make sense. But, you know, but, but it looks great. So you buy it and it's and it's like a feast for the eyes. And all that shit distracts you <laughs> from the fact that, like, yeah, this movie, like the original Philip K. Dick story was about exploring what would happen in a world where we had robots that were human-like. How would we treat them? But there's not much focus on that. There's so much fucking masturbation about how shit needs to look that he forgot to fucking tell a story, to explore the theme, to go deep. To like think about it with every scene, like the heartbeat of the movie needs to be every scene should ooze like an ex machina and like and moon and other great sci-fi. 2001, you know, is about technology, like the bone being the tool to the space cut match cut to the spaceship to HAL 9000, which is the ultimate tool, the, the AI that then tries to kill the humans. Fuck, that's storytelling. That's like how you build on themes and you take them further and, and you, you, you get to a, a orgasmic ending that just is so satisfying. And Ridley's like, nah, just going to make it look pretty and people will like yeah, it. I, I, actually, so that's that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, no, I, I actually love that you brought up Dark City because I was thinking about Dark City 
pretty much the entire time that I was watching Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, to, to Jason's point, yeah, it, it, it came out several, several years after Blade Runner. Uh, so, uh, but I, I mean, that's one of the big things that they bring up in Blade Runner is implanting memories in order to try to make the, uh, the replicants more like human beings. And, and you know, and, and, you know, they brought it up in, uh, Blade Runner 2049 too. Dark City did the same damn thing. And it was also visually visually spectacular. It was a visually spectacular movie, but I think that Dark City actually had an edge on both of the Blade Runners, in that it was laser focused on that idea. Uh, and okay. I guess I can illustrate that, and then you can respond because we were comparing yeah. the movies, like Blade Runner um, twenty forty nine. I really tried to also pay attention because this is important stuff, <laughs> this podcast. Um, no, because I really wanted to get it right. Like, I, you know, I, I, I want to give all the respect to, to these movies if I'm going to, like, you know, um, criticize them. Um, so the first few scenes in 2049, I really liked. Like, you see the, yeah. like the, the scenes between him and Joy, uh, the artificial girlfriend, it immediately, Denis immediately starts like thinking about like, okay, this guy is an android, um, but he has emotions, so he needs companionship. But this companion is one step further from a from a human. She's a, a an artificial uh, projection, um, but she still has uh, personality, emotions, and everything. But how do you, how is that relationship going to work? Like, why does he need her? Uh, why does she need him? Does she need him, or is she just playing a role? Um, you know, and, and all the relationship with them, he thinks about these things and he builds up the scenes. and And there's a lot of stuff going on there that's interesting and good. Um, not so much with the rest of the movie. There's a little bit of it, uh, but but definitely you see from the first few scenes mm. that this is a director who's curious about the human condition in spite of the fact that his main character is a robot like he's curious about like what does uh what does it, what is it like to be an android uh, and, and not just criminals that are rebelling on a distant like uh you know mine planet whatever moon uh you know where like the rutger mm. hauer and the the criminals come from um and this is one of the main issues i have with the blade runner i totally get it it's not nice to say that you're you know, uh, what's the word that they say, like, they don't kill them, that they retire them or whatever the inhumane word to, like, end the lives of the droids. But they are criminals. They're rebelling for good reasons because they're slave labor and they should not be slaves. Um, but they are bad people, even though artificial people. Yeah, you should maybe, like, have due process, but they are dangerous criminals, so you you might not be able to give them due process. You might just have to eliminate them, unfortunately. Um, so so the, that's the issue that I have with the movies, is um, like, or at least the, the, the first one, is that uh, they don't give a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons to relate to the androids. Uh, Rachel is humanized for sure, but the, you know, the, 
the bad guys are really kind of bad guys. I mean, you can understand where they're coming from, and it's inhumane what they're doing to them. And we probably shouldn't do that to future, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. But but 2049, it's the lead character is an android, and he's not a criminal, and he's very relatable. He's he's got issues as a passive character for sure, which Ryan Gosling is very good at playing. I think he was perfectly cast for this because he always plays kind of aloof in most of his acting, and it kind of works uh. for it perfectly. But um, but yeah, it's it's just more the fact that the lead character is an android makes it so much more about what it means to for an android to be human than what happens in Blade Runner. So so the premise alone already helps the movie, but still I feel like it's just a lot of visual masturbation, and and it looks great and it feels great, but but it's not really dealing with the subject head on. Uh, and and please explain to me how it does if if I missed it. Okay, so I I I definitely disagree with your um, analysis. <laughs> I think that Blade Runner is focused on its theme and its subject. Uh, I think it's every single scene in the movie is. I just think its shortcomings, its failings, come from being less interesting, less entertaining, and less engaging than a lot of the movies we just discussed uh, that kind of shared a lot of similar ideas and came later on. And it also suffers from just kind of like what Matt hinted at a little bit earlier. Um, it makes promises that it doesn't really keep. And in my opinion, that's where the movie falls apart is it, it's slow it it feels like it should have a lot of action and it just doesn't and even the stuff it gives us is missing something but um as far as what the movie's trying to say i mean as we said i mean the movie is absolutely about what does it really mean to be human and so you've got a movie where it you know it's like as if some people were sitting around talking about that and they were saying like well how how do you know if you're a human? Well, obviously we know because we know what a human looks like and sounds like and is like. And it's like, okay, well, what if we could make an artificial one that is you know that is passable? Well, then at at what point is something human and not if you can't tell the difference between them? And so it you know right away, right at the beginning of the story, we we have uh, Deckard, the a person who had a career hunting artificial humans he's the last person in the world who should relate with any of these artificial replicant people and he meets rachel he meets this girl who didn't who was created and didn't even know she's not real so when she goes to him uh, out outside of the building you know at his house or whatever later on she starts kind of like having a bit of a, a breakdown because she's you know She's like having to come to grips and deal with the fact that she's been told now that she isn't real. And so, you know, I mean, he starts suddenly seeing this person in front of him who is displaying all these real life emotions and he's kind of there dealing with it like crap. He doesn't even really want her there at first. And now he finds himself feeling sympathetic towards this artificial thing. 
you know, like, I don't know if you, you pick up on it, but like in their first conversation at his house, she is trying to convince herself and him that she's real. And she starts listing memories and he starts shooting each one down saying, no, that's been implanted in you. That's uh, the guy's niece or, or something like that. You know, that, that came from her and that came from her. That also came from her, like each thing that she brings up, you know? So like at first he's just kind of answering very flippantly, like as if, cause he doesn't feel the need to really engage with her like a real person. But as she starts crying and stuff and he kind of like is there for her, he starts to care about her and stuff. So you've got this whole storyline about this girl who didn't even know that she's not real and having to come to grips with that, him starting to realize that he actually cares about her like a human. And what does that mean for him? And then the, the rest of the story that's not about that. Oh, and sorry, I should also mention. And then because of the, the dream he has about the unicorn, he starts questioning whether he's a real human or not. And then you've got the, the rest of the story is about him hunting down these other, you know, re renegade replicants and the entire movie. Um, I, I don't, I, I definitely don't um, agree with Gil's take on it, that, that they're, you know, the, just these criminals that we don't really connect with. Like, they these are the bad guys of the story and the whole plot of the story is uh, the, is that this cop has to chase these guys down and 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 destroy them and yet in every scene that we see them i mean it, it kind of starts slow and trickles out but by the end especially uh i think with each scene that we see rudger hauer and daryl hannah and the others we all start to see what they're going through and why they've made it all the way to earth. They've kind of smuggled their way in or whatever, or mm -hmm. snuck in. And at first there, you, we see them murdering people. We see them committing these acts, but slowly as we, as we, the audience see more and more and more of them, we realize that all they're doing is just trying to get to back to earth to, to get help from the people who made them it by force if necessary because they found out that they have a four-year lifespan and that they're all days away from dying and they just want to live. So they feel that, that everything that they're doing is justified because it's unfair that they were created with all the, with every single thing that it, it is to be a human being but they were only given this tiny life to live. And, and, you know, and so as we get to the end of the movie and, you know, again, spoilers, but as Deckard takes out one after another, after another, after another, we get to the, um, to the end and he's killed off Pris, the, probably the one that we kind of relate to the most. And then uh, Rudger Hauer's there and it's like, oh my gosh, it's gearing up to be this big giant, uh, showdown thing and uh, you know they they kind of do this cat and mouse thing throughout the house and by now you don't want Harrison Ford to die so you're kind of rooting for him and but you're also like gosh it's just not fair that Rudger Hauer is going to die at the end he's dangling off a damn mount, uh, uh, not a mountain uh, uh, not a cliff like a, a building top a rooftop I guess whatever mm -hmm. and the guy who's fake 
who's been trying to kill him. They've been trying to kill each other for like the last 15 minutes. And he's actually been kind of sadistic about it. He's toying with him because, because he's mad that he killed all of his friends, you know, whatever you want to call them, family. And at the very, very end, he just comes to this moment where he's like, well, I failed. You know, I couldn't save any of them and I couldn't even save myself. And this guy who I've been trying to kill is about to slip off the roof and die. And he does something that he doesn't even need to do. There's no reason for him to save Deckard other than to just do one final act of humanity. And he pulls him up on the roof and he has a monologue of, of regret about the fact that he's in this short, tiny life that he's lived. He's seen incredible things. And it's all for nothing because as soon as he dies, they're just going to, those memories will disappear and nobody will ever experience them or know about them or anything. And it'll be like he never existed. I mean, like what, what else? There's nothing in the movie that's not about that. It's all, every single bit of it is about it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you, uh, you definitely give a very good breakdown of what the movie does. And, um, I can also I, break down I, what I don't like about it. <laughs> yeah, you can do that as well, for sure. Um, but um, I, I think the the main thing, yes, is that he does have the ending this time around played better for me. I didn't remember the fact that he basically toys with him, could have killed him, and then ends up doing the human act of mercy, the thing that the humans didn't do to them. Yeah. So I, I totally get that the movie does that in the end. Um, for sure, but the way the characters are bid are built, and and I really think it's a it's a Ridley thing. Uh, <laughs> I I really think you could have used more humanity uh, in 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 evolving these characters throughout the movie. They felt too much like baddies, and yeah. you never saw them being slaves on a distant planet. You didn't see. Like a better story of this could have been like an epic three hour movie where the first half is like Spartacus, where like, you know, they're they're like on a row of slavery and stuff and and, and somebody said this is not cool. And I know this might be more of on the nose thing, but and, and then that person escapes and he's on the run. But he's a very sympathetic re rebel because he doesn't willy nilly kills people. He doesn't have like a, uh, he, he, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder, the guy. Like he's, and that's okay. That could have been explained by saying like, he's young, he's a baby. Like he's, he's mm -hmm. only three and a half years old or whatever like his age was at the time. Like that could have been played with as well. Someone who was a more sensitive storyteller could have played on into all of that. Like Deckard could have said something along the lines of, you know, like if, if through his understanding of Rachel, which you beautifully explained that, I think his relationship with Rachel is is one of the strongest points of the movie. Although I want you to explain something there because I, some scene that like was strange to me because it seems like you got a lot of the the the, the what they're going for in each moment. Um, but but it, it feels to me like through his understanding of Rachel, he could have connected that and finally understood the you know the renegades like to 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 maybe not fully but not enough to not try to kill them but at least to in the end have some regret about what he's done and and maybe look back at all the replicants that he has killed in the past and how many of those people were redeemable how many of those were just mm. 
essentially terrorists that were terrorists, um, you know, for the right reasons, just were so young. It's kind of like, you know, it's 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 sort of like I don't want to get political or anything, but but you know, over the, in the world, there's many conflicts. Um, I come from Israel. You know, there's the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Um, you know, I'm if you were to, with that one, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> but but the you know, if you were to tell a story about, let's say, a movie about that, um, obviously, from my perspective, especially a a fully formed adult, there, if 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 a terrorist from the the Palestinian authorities is trying to kill Israelis, and but he's a fully formed adult, uh, and he just chose to keep that hate and not to and to have that be the only solution. Um, th there is an issue with that, and that's why a lot of Israelis also like have hardened their heart over the years because the, again and again right. and again they they felt felt lied to, and then more terrorist attacks. But if if a, if a 15 year old or a 14 year old or a 17 year old did something stupid, a terrorist act, and it's just them trying to act out, like they're not fully formed yet and they have this misguided yeah. hatred, like not misguided hatred, but hatred that's not, um, that's not like uh, channeled correctly, then you can understand it. Like you could, you could, yeah. um, or another example would be like there's all these stories about in Vietnam, a lot of like soldiers, like young soldiers, like did horrible acts to the locals there. Yeah. That would have been an even better example. It's not that there's hatred in their heart to those people. It's just that they're they're young, they're kids. They, they don't know. And this is what's fascinating about this story and could have been explored so much better. These four year old, you know, like they, they, they died after four years. They're not fully formed. Like they you give emotions to a robot, yeah. and, and and that robot didn't have time to process those emotions. I mean, we humans, we suck, and and we get like a good twenty, thirty years to till we yeah. become fully formed adults. Uh, I mean, my kids, oh my god, they have no fucking sense. <laughs> they are so difficult to deal with. I mean, because because they're not fully formed, um, and so I think that. Like if somebody had brought that into the table, that that fascination would like, like if somebody had told Rutger Howard, like, you know, play this as if you were a toddler, like, you know, like this is how you need to play. And there's a little bit of it. They are playful. Like I think Daryl Hannah's character is a little bit playful and stuff, yeah. but, but they really need to feel more like, I think there was a little bit of it, but it was just not fully formed in there. Like I, yeah. uh, that, that they're just not, they're they're just babies, and that's why they don't know what they're doing is wrong, or, or at least misguided, or is not gonna get them what they need, and and well, gonna um, make them. I, I was gonna just say <laughs> I, I I completely agree with you. I, I've never once thought about that until you brought it up right now. But um, it'd be nice for them to play on the age thing a little bit more. Um, I don't think that they're exactly the same as a four year old because um, they are they're when they first wake up and they're like you know uh, brought online or whatever you want to call it when they're uh when they're uh, awakened or whatever they have a lifetime of memories implanted in them so they they have like the intelligence and the the knowledge and stuff that, but it's it's kind of like it's i think it's probably we're supposed to believe that it's not quite the same as a lived experience that being said they definitely could have played on that whole 
age thing more. And also, um, I love that you mentioned the thing about how it's, I don't know, it's a nice tight movie the way, it, um, the way it ends with him. I mean, what better way to show that, that, um, Harrison Ford has been affected and changed by this, uh, whole ordeal than for him to run off with, um, with Rachel, like with the, you know, with romantic intent for them to just run off into the sunset together. Um, he clearly accepts her as an equal and as a human and stuff like that. But I completely agree with you. It would be a far better movie if we had time to see him uh, regret all the things that he's done in his lifetime of uh, of working as a Blade Runner. Uh, you know, I think you can argue that he he's having those moments while he's looking at uh, like watching him make that speech. Sure, I so, guess. I mean, I, I don't completely <laughs> detract that from the movie, but um, but yeah, one thing I was gonna ask um, um, before I should let Matt like get in here as well, but uh, and maybe Matt can answer this as well <laughs> if he remembers. <clears throat> but the the scene with Rachel, where he's sort of abusive initially, like where he's kind of like forcing her. <laughs> to like him or to kiss him what what's going on there like because i know after that they kind of worked it out and they fell in love but but what was that like that beat there where like he kind of became like the abusive <laughs> boyfriend or something? uh matt do you want to take that one or no <laughs> uh jason you can go ahead uh, uh i mean i mean if i had to guess <laughs> i think that was just I, I I would guess I I've never read the script. I don't know what um what, what was it was this, this is a people's script, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. David Webb Peoples. Uh. I don't know. Um. What what he wrote if in the action lines if they were really all that specific about it. I would guess that just like a lot of movies, um, when there's a scene the actors and the directors all get together and they probably try to talk about how can we make this interesting, you know, and they try different things and they just don't want to be cliche and obvious. And if I had to guess, I'd say that, um, they were like, how can we make this sexy? And it's like, uh, this is 1982 and, and Harrison Ford is a, is a, 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 a big, strong male with uh, magnitude and everything and presence. And they were like, Let's have him be a nice guy and he's not going to force himself on her, but he's going to be very forceful. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I think, I think he's just, he, he wants her and he knows that she wants him. And rather than letting her leave, he's like shutting the door in front of her and, and he's pushing up against her and saying, you know, ask me to kiss you. Like, you know, ask me yeah. to do this. Cause he's, he doesn't want to literally force himself on her, but he is being quite forceful. <laughs> uh, wasn't it Hitchcock who always said that uh, love scenes should be played like uh, yeah. murder murder scenes and murder scenes should be played like love scenes or something like that? Uh, I believe I, it was I don't him. know, but yeah. I, you definitely I, see I, a lot of that in, in uh, North by Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody might have taken him a bit too literally, but, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I'll say this much. I've never, I've yeah. never tried those lines on a girl before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. I, I don't know. Is it, a, is it in like a, an early eighties thing that it's just a machismo 
um, you know, sexist thing, or I, I thought that it was Deckard uh, playing off of his uh, bias against them because he hunts them for a living. So I thought that he was like his first instinct is to is to boss around the attractive them and like him. You know, I thought that was what it was. And and then after that, it seems like it, it went away. He didn't do that anymore. But that scene just doesn't play well for me. I, I don't know if it's like it just doesn't like, you know, didn't stand the test of time or, or if they were going for showing Deckard's bias and like negative side. But then he kind of like, yeah, because he is like an anti-hero in a way like Noir should be. But yeah, I don't know. That scene just doesn't play well for me amongst others. But, but I, I gotta give you credit. You know, it's it's definitely trying to do something. It just doesn't do it as well as other movies, and and I think it's either. worth mention. And and it's worth mentioning. Like twenty forty nine, I started by saying that you know the whole thing is an exploration of of Ryan Gosling's character, K. Which interestingly, it's kind of a cool choice, K, because it's uh, I think it's the main character in uh, mm -hmm. Franz Kafka's the the trial. Uh, in any case, Kafka is very big on like giving like first letter names to to his characters. So I, I think it was an interesting. I wonder if that's what it was going when they were going for. But um, but yeah, I, I think I think Kay's journey is a lot more interesting than anything in Blade Runner because he's a robot who um, for a moment thinks that he might be the closest thing the human that's ever been in the robot world. That he was this child that was born to Rachel and um, Deckard, only to then find out that he's not. Uh, uh, and and that's what it means to be human. I mean, that's like more so, not as much as like some other movies, but 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 it's still it's it's a journey, and you take it with him. Like he's the main character. It's not like you know the the side character like Rachel and Rutger Hauer and then in, in the original Blade Runner they're they're side characters even though you can still make that point with a side character but but I, I feel like in, in 2049 it really just goes um deeper into that because you're with them the entire time. Um so so that's it's a more interesting journey. It, it still is not I don't know why it doesn't like get me all the way there. But but I, I still think it does a better job than the original to, to at least be in focus on it on most scenes that, that, that this is what they're going for. This is what they're developing and 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 this is where they get to in the end. Yeah, let me completely agree and also add some thoughts as well to that. <laughs> um, I um, before diving completely into the sequel film, I was just going to say that um, I wasn't the one who said this. I remember uh, some review that I was watching of the original Blade Runner um, said something, and I don't remember how exactly they the, they phrased it, but it was I thought it was dead on. But this goes hand in hand with the whole the title of the movie and the poster and everything about it. You think is going to be an action movie, and it kind of like lets you down with that. But um, the intro of the movie where the, the the 
the words on the screen and they're kind of like giving you an idea of what this world is and who the Blade Runners are and who the replicants are, what they are and all these, it's setting you up for this movie, you know? Um, they talk about how there's these detectives and these things. And then there's the, the elite ones, the best of the best, whose whole job is to hunt replicants down and retire them. And they are dun, 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 the Blade Runners, you know? For all that buildup, despite me liking this movie, there is no discernible skill or talent <laughs> that, that Harrison Ford, that Deckard, ever displays in the entire film, other than what you what you'd find on an average detective. Yes, no, no, for sure. That's that's one of the many issues that I have, uh, and it's good you bring it up. <laughs> You're making points for me, but yeah, um, no, no. I mean, I, no, because these are the because I because, because uh, for one thing, there's only one Blade Runner. I never see any other ones. Well, the the guy who dies in the beginning is supposed to be one. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the one in the office. I thought he was just like an administrative person. Well, doing exactly. A, a no discernible skills whatsoever. <laughs> um, I think K was designed to be a Blade Runner potentially, but but Deckard needed to be kind of like a Jack Nicholson. Even though Jack Nicholson makes a lot of mistakes in Chinatown, um, and that's okay because you know detectives are flawed. They tend to be overly confident in their instincts. Yeah. And um and and Deckard should have had some more innate ability to detect. Uh, exactly. And, and then have that backfire on him yeah. or something. So I, you know. I was gonna say, um and this leads to the, the 2049 thing. Um when I see uh I, I don't want it to I don't when I watch this movie, I don't I'm not hoping to see some sort of physical talents or something like that, that they have some sort of special training that makes them amazing or whatever. The, the thing that I think this movie light, like just glosses over, which could have been far more interesting is the whole, like, um, uh, like the Turing test thing that he has them doing with the little, uh, briefcase machine, mm -hmm. you know, um, they, the, but they use it twice in the beginning. If maybe if these blade runners, are like these guys who've had extensive psychological training or something and they are they train them to be able to spot stuff like they're, they're almost like uh, gestapo agents or something like that only for replicants you know that would have been more interesting if the, if they could have found a way to work that into the story and you just don't get it you know i mean like there's there's not really anything in the scene where he's talking to the stripper girl with the snake. Um, he is being like a good detective. He's putting on a fake voice. He's putting on a fake uh, personality and he's acting like he's there to, I can't remember. Was he supposed to be there to interview her or I don't remember what his ruse was, but he's there talking yeah, like to a her, magazine or something, something. Yeah. And, and everything about it is absolutely what I'd expect. Oh no, no. From... It was like uh, something like, uh, um, uh, I think it was like occupational rights or something like oh, if she's right, being right. like yes, abused, I'm sorry. You know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You're absolutely right. He's like an OSHA guy or something. Anyway, point is that it's a great scene. His his per performance is great. Her performance is great. The writing is great. It's exactly what I'd expect from any other noir detective movie where he's inner he's he's talking to a suspect who he doesn't want her to know that she's a suspect. 
and then it and then it turns on him and she she ends up getting violent and running away you know it, it's fine it's a fine scene there's nothing terribly wrong with it that would have been a scene where they could have amped it up to 10 and like up to 11 you know and really done something really fascinating and really interesting like to show that these guys have some sort of uh training to spot these replicant things or something like that you know but um anyway the whole reason i was bringing that up is just to say that um i know that over the decades and stuff that since this movie came out because of the the unicorn scene where he has a dream about the unicorn and that makes him question himself because um you know uh like for instance um i think um edward james almost or something like that gives him the little unicorn um uh at the end and stuff like that and it, it just kind of makes him question himself a bit because he's like wow gosh i've been sitting here telling um sean young rachel um that uh that her memories are implanted and and she doesn't know that she's not real how do i know that i'm not real and whatever but i mean they they make it pretty clear that he is a normal human being but um but that is something that people have talked about over decades is like what if deckard himself was what if that's what made him so special that he was that he was a replicant blade runner or something like that and i just that's I, I know that it's not necessarily something that's like in the movie but it's one of the things I think is so fantastic about the sequel is that uh, when they're making this movie, they they thought about all these little things, you know, that I just think really add to the movie. Like the fact that it's like, okay, so now we're going to have a whole movie, just like Gil was saying. It's so interesting because now it's all about the replicant and he is, you know, he is created to be a Blade Runner. So now we get a sequel that's exploring kind of, what all those people were kind of just guessing about and talking about and hinting, you know, uh, with their little fan theories, you know, and stuff. And then the, all the little stuff they did, like, you know, um, the opening scene with, um, you know, where he, he goes to the little grub farm or whatever, you know, that where uh, he goes and, and uh, retires Dave Batista or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't know this until like about a year ago, but like um, that scene, it's not word for word or anything, but it's very, very similar to an alternate opening that Ridley Scott was thinking about doing with Deckard. He was going to have a scene similar to that just to show what Blade Runners do kind of thing. But then they they thought it'd be much better to have him be like retired, kind of like he's he doesn't do that stuff anymore. And then he's eating the noodles and then they, that that was like a better opening for him kind of. You know, but um, they put that in the movie, and I think it's a great opening. You know, and it, and it leads to all the other things in the movie, and so on and so forth. It gets the whole um, mystery investigation going, and everything. And then, you know, you you were talking about how he's such a great character and stuff because we get to explore that with him. You know, I mean, I think the reason why Joy, the, um, the Anna de Armas uh, character, my favorite part of the entire movie, really. I think she, it's so interesting that, that they went that route. I think that she elevates this movie in a big way because it's like, um, you know, by making Ryan Gosling a, a replicant Blade Runner, you see from the graffiti on his door and the way his, his own police officer, fellow police officers treat him, that humans hate the replicants. You know, they don't like them. They still use the, the slurs. And everything they call them like skin job or something like that, whatever the hell they call them. 
So he's he's an outcast from all the humans. And then when you he goes to the prostitutes, you see that even though replicants are a pretty common thing in this world now, all the replicants hate him too because he's a Blade Runner. So he can't have a normal relationship. Everybody hates him. So he has Joy. Who is neither a, a human or a replicant. He has a robot. Yeah, he has a he has a artificial girlfriend because like they the, took it yeah. one. It's it's like the third level of the dream and inception. Yeah. It's like the it, third level of uh, it, artificial it, it, intelligence. It's like this. The, I don't want to get too deep into it or anything. I I think you know I I gave this thing the highest rating out of the three of us. I think that Blade Runner twenty forty nine would be a phenomenal movie if her character wasn't even in it. Well, I, I shouldn't say phenomenal. That's a little much. It'd be a very good movie, and it'd probably be a, a great movie. It'd probably still be as good if not better than Blade Runner. But the fact that they they took the time to explore, I mean, her character has nothing to do with his investigation. She has nothing to do, it, she is just there to develop him as a person, as a character. Their relationship is phenomenal. They like are so in love with each other, even though she's fake, even though she doesn't even have a tangible body, you know, and he tries so much to like make it as real as it can be, you know? And when people notice that he's living that way, he doesn't seem ashamed of it or anything like that. Their, their whole thing is just outstanding. And and like you said, they, it's like they took the time to explore that one layer of the onion deeper. And I just think it really elevates the whole movie. Yeah. No, I mean, um, and then I guess one thing I should say before I forget is to go back to my initial theory, mm. and this could lead into something Matt will have plenty of opinions about, uh, is, is uh-huh. that I do think that the aesthetics, like the, the, the emphasis on the aesthetics of these movies, the kaleidoscope nature of the locations, the world, the color schemes, uh, in both movies, I almost feel like in some ways it's it overshadows <laughs> the story itself and and it's and it's ironic that someone like Roger Deakins who is the master of being the invisible cinematographer like he makes beautiful movies that don't look like they're even lit uh that he took this on which was brave of him because it was definitely a departure for him it's almost like the point of the movie it's almost like it's a, it's a movie that's i think we've discussed this with other ones i don't know if it was inception or like like a movie that's designed to be a movie that knows that it's a movie and 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 embraces the fact that it's a movie and 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 maybe that's why to me it detracts from the actual substance of of what's actually going on cuz there's too much stuff to feast your eyes on that that you that you're you know that you're losing like the the plot in a way um but but obviously that this is why we have these discussions after hearing what jason said about the original i i totally appreciate that i maybe not uh, didn't dig too deep into it uh, i mean i i got all those things while i was watching it but but uh, it was just not as impactful as when jason explained it and and i i i admitted myself that 2049 was more impactful but still, something about it just didn't take me all the way to the finish line, like some other sci-fi movies that I really like. So I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you think, Matt, about the you know the 
both these movies have a thing about the 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 camera work and and the lighting. It's it's almost like a character in the movie, right? Like more so than most movies. Yeah. Um. So I've been pretty much silent for like what forty minutes now. <laughs> yeah. No. No. That's why I want to bring you in. And if you have to comment about anything else, just, you know. uh, I, oh, geez. Uh, I I I I think if I if I voiced every comment that I. I had we'd be talking for another forty minutes. Uh, well, actually, probably another four hours. Um, but <laughs> Roger Deakins definitely took a lot from Jordan Cronin with in uh, in twenty forty nine. I, I I mean there there is a really consistent uh, motif. In how these movies were handled visually in moving lights. The lights were always moving. And I think that that's uh, a world building element. Um, I can't really tell you whether or not uh, I, I extrapolated some kind of message from it. <laughs> I, I, I think it just kind of looked futuristic and awesome and uh i mean i I mean both movies are just absolute synegasms from the beginning to the end i mean there are a few uh visual cues that are important but i mean if you're going to ask me like why uh, yeah they were like projecting hard lights into water and creating like that textural movement of water uh, uh, on the ceilings to uh, all I can say is that the only reason that I ever did that in a movie was because it looked cool. Yeah. And, 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 and and I've done that in, in movies because it, it looks cool. So yeah. Um, But uh, I, I want to kind of, address this jason hey you've used the word several times like you know real versus fake sure uh yeah like are it are you real when it comes to you know the replicants and everything like that and i actually think that that cuts to the bone of my issue at least with the first movie if not also with the second movie hmm because they are real. The yeah. question is, are they conscious? And how do we actually measure that? How do we actually experience that? And um, from a from a philosophical and scientific standpoint, this is one of the biggest mind fucks that you can get. Uh, uh, forgive my French, but um, uh, yes. it, 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 in that <laughs> like we we really don't know where consciousness comes from. Like there is no conscious center of the brain. There is no part of the brain that we can say like, oh, if we damage this, you might not be conscious anymore. And yet, consciousness is the one. Consciousness is the one thing that can't be an illusion, because we're all aware of our own 
being. And there is so much to explore there. And that's where movies like, you know, Ex Machina, and I would argue Dark City come in, you know, where, okay, you're conscious of it, even if it's not real. You're aware of it, even if it's not real. But don't we have an ethical obligation to these conscious creatures? Because they're aware of something, even if even if it's not real. I mean, like, and for all we know, we could all be uh, an artificial intelligence in some box and some, you know, grand scheme, you know, just kind of like running a bunch of hypothetical universes through experiments to see, you know, how things are going to turn out. I mean, but we're still aware and still there's an ethical obligation. And I think that that's something that was just utterly glossed over. And it seems like that's kind of the real meat of the story is that you're living among these people and, and or these people are, or these machines are living among us and they're designed to be indistinguishable from your average human being. So why isn't there a serious question of, don't, don't we have an ethical obligation to these people at some point? Or to these machines at some point, <laughs> like you know, what, what, why, why aren't we actually dealing with that? I, I and I don't think that we actually ever did um, deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if if it wasn't clear from what I said way back at the beginning of this whole yeah. thing, um, I think that this concept, I guess, is the best way to put it is easily one of the most fertile concepts in all of science fiction. There's so many aspects of it to go into and to talk about and to explore and address. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think that that's not only is that a very good thing that probably should have been talked about. I think it's probably sucks that they didn't at least address it in some way, shape or form. All I can say is that, you know, these movies are focused on other aspects of the concept, just like other movies that, you know, explore this stuff are more laser focused on that. You know, uh, I, I think a, a good one for all the people out there who, you know, are interested in anime, um, Ghost in the Shell 2 very much it, uh, addresses exactly what you were just talking about, you know? Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. It, it, I think it, it Maybe if they made five of these movies or, I mean, they did make a TV show. I, I never saw it. I don't know if you guys ever glanced uh, at that. I, I, it, uh, well, I mean, Black Lotus is still on, right? But I don't, I don't um, know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, huh? I'm about it's like in the Blade Runner universe? or Yeah, there, there's a Blade yeah. Runner TV show of some kind. I don't know how many episodes they did or whatever, but uh, I mean... I think that the universe they created is definitely one where you could tell a great deal of, or let's say a very well-told story that completely addresses what Matt was just saying. And certainly neither of these movies even dip their toe into yeah. that aspect of the, the universe. Yeah. I, I, I am concerned about that criticism coming from me though, that, you know, it's just, 
it's one of those things that I've made the same argument a few times about like, well, if you want that movie to be made, why don't you make it yourself? Or, you know, <laughs> well, you know, why, if you want that emphasis to be placed on it, why don't you write your own damn script or, you know, yeah. your own damn novel or something like that. But I, I mean, I, I'm kind of viewing this through the lens of, uh, you know, at my last, um, full-time nine nine to five job uh you know was always viewed as a missed opportunity and 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 it's also just something that's so clear an opportunity i i don't know how it wasn't addressed i mean you're dealing with something that is so clearly and obviously interesting and especially with with blade runner because the replicants are pretty much identical to humans you can't help but compare it to a uh, compare it to a movie like ex machina where the the android character i I don't know if you would call her an android or whatever uh alicia vikander um (laughs) at least through the majority of the movie doesn't look like a human but the whole point is like a reverse turing test yeah and that's freaking interesting uh uh i, I mean that that's engaging from beginning to end um you know it's also and, a very small movie though yeah um but i i mean it, it, you know to to gill's earlier point about themes i don't know I, i'm straining to find the real theme here and the theme that i would go to if i'm uh, you know, if I'm delving into this kind of uh, territory would be where do you get the right to pull the trigger uh, against one of these uh, machines? Because how do you know that you're not just murdering somebody who is just like you just for existing? Yeah, it goes into the due process thing that I mentioned. That like that's definitely yeah. something they didn't give them. Well, and, and but at the and, same time, they're killing machines, so you know you can't always like you know handcuff them. You know? Yeah, I, I actually I, 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 this just popped into my head. There might be an issue with these movies in that it's too stacked with ideas because you can have a whole movie that's just built around okay what is consciousness when do we actually have a moral obligation to other people and that's a movie like ex machina but then there's another element to the movie which is memories and do memories make the man or woman or whatever uh and that's a movie like Dark City. And the entire movie of Dark City is built around that question of do our memories make us who we are? Do our, are we the result of our prior causes? Or are we, uh, or is there something innate within, uh, within us? Uh, so there's a question of free will there. And that's a whole other movie. <laughs> So, I mean, 
if anything, the movie, if anything, Blade Runner might have stacked itself with way too many concepts to actually focus in on one thing and make a statement about it. I, I, I would argue that you're you're entirely right. Uh, and just like earlier, I brought oh, up. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I brought up. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I would say that you're entirely right in the way you've brought in the way you've thought about it. I would just say that I'm not necessarily as critical as you are about it because uh, I, I also brought up uh, Ghost in the Shell earlier too. That's another world that I feel has the same problem. I think what you're talking about is these science fiction worlds that some you know visionary person thought up and created or a number of people in, in this case and it's just a world that's very well thought out and the rules are explained to you and you it, it it's it it's a it's fertile ground for your brain to think about it and go gosh this brings up all these conundrums that need to be talked about and discussed but rather than just have an unfocused movie that's about 30,000 things that none, that and none of them really get 30,000 that's ridiculous let's say like a dozen um <laughs> different things right like, like all right, just an I mean, exaggeration. Like, yeah yeah i'm just kind of throwing out numbers here but yeah like rather than having this this one thing that's like a, a, a you know movie that tries to dip its toe into 12 different aspects of this very complex world and concepts that that are brought up by it both I, I would argue that blade runner and blade runner 2049 both decide instead to focus very much on just one small aspect of those things and i don't think that that's a bad thing that they did that but i completely agree with you that there it's fertile ground you could i think good filmmakers could make other movies uh about those things particularly after the second one because if you if you read the the little prologue thing and especially if you see the um the little short films that are on the blu-ray um you know they they talk about how the big difference between the first movie and the second one is that in the 30-year gap you know uh deckard in the first movie he's running around chasing these nexus six and uh, mm -hmm. robots, uh, replicants, you know, and he's been doing that for most of his life, you know, and they just got good enough to create Rachel, the the one that's so, so lifelike and so human-like that she doesn't even know that she's a replicant. And it, I think there's even a line of dialogue that like, uh, that the, um, the creator guy, whatever his name is, um, he says something about uh, that it took him a long time. You know, we don't see it. Tyrell. Thank you, Tyrell. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was searching for his name. I think he even says something after they're all done that that it, it, it took him an abnormally long time to realize that she was not human or something like that. So it's like they've just gotten to that point and they've just gotten to the point that she could actually, that they've created one that can actually you know, reproduce and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it, it's like a, a new, new um, quantum leap for them and whatever. Right. But they say that in the 30 years since that time, the Tyrell company has gone out of business. Uh, Jared Leto's company has come in and bought up all their, their old stuff. And th that uh, 
before or there was there's this massive blackout or something that ruined a whole bunch of the way that everybody was living and all the records and things like that and then uh in the aftermath of that this other company um you know the the replicants were completely um done away with but as a need um he brought them back he used that technology to create new replicants these nexus or not not nexus but mm. whatever eight models you know that that they created he says that they uh they had the nexus eight models or something like that that were all around at the time that were even more advanced than the ones we saw in the first movie but they're saying that they brought back these replicants and the big difference is that they're obedient they're not like yeah. the ones in the first movie that's what i found really interesting about the second one um that's a little bit of an interesting twist brian gosling's character k the 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 um the villainous replicant love it, and all the other ones the um the the prostitutes and all the ones that we see except for of course um the one at the beginning uh sapper uh, the one that dave batista plays um all of the replicants that we see are obedient replicants there were ones that have they've been made in a way that they cannot mm -hmm. you know disobey and so they they live a very different life than the previous ones and he that's one of the reasons you know you were you gill you were mentioning this whole thing about him hunting down the others of his own kind but he says to the to dave batista he says i don't I don't hunt down my own kind. He's like, you guys are the only ones that run you old school ones, the Nexus eight ones. He goes, you're the only ones that disobey and run. He says, he's basically, he's what he's saying is if you were just good, they wouldn't, they wouldn't retire you, you know? And then for the rest of the movie, you've got Ryan Gosling doing this whole thing where he's like interacting with Robin Wright, his, his Lieutenant, his uh, police Lieutenant. And he's like trying to please her. Like he's trying to be the greatest version of himself that he can possibly be. And same thing with love. The, uh, the other one, she's like, I think there's some line at the end where the two of them, they're, they're almost like feuding siblings or something. They're like who I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Like their entire existence is like servitude. They, they want to like, to be the, the best they can be for the humans kind of thing. So it, it's interesting because in a way it all ties into what Matt was just saying, you know, like these, uh, there's a moral question there, you know, about creating life that's exactly the same as, as humans in every way, shape and form. Like their brain is just as complex from all that we can tell, at least they seem to have feelings, but yet they're created in a way where they can't disobey no it's all interesting stuff like whether it's the original or the uh, first one and i agree with a lot of what's been said about its fruitful ground and stuff and, and maybe they're just mm -hmm. i guess maybe you know the the crime that both this these movies have is that they're they're so not subtle about the aesthetics but <laughs> story and the themes and i like subtlety in stories but i feel like it's a bit too much in both of them um, yeah, because they don't like you know like Matt's example, Ax Machina. Yeah, let's face Ax Machina or the you know Star Trek episode that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> they're a bit, they can be considered too much on not on the nose, but but they deal with the subject head on. And obviously, 
movies uh, are or stories should be should explore those themes not directly like indirectly because that's when they're like close to the heart but but i do feel like with these two movies there's a lot like just having a story happen in this universe where there's humans and robots and holograms you're gonna find it's like the bible like it's so rich with uh, with possibilities that you're gonna find um, you know, themes and and and, um, and threads of of um, thoughts um, everywhere, but 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 it's not very um, focused. Yeah. It just doesn't feel very well calibrated. Like I, I gave a little spiel about two thousand one X Machina is a good example. I mentioned Moon, which is another movie that, and I understand about you saying that this is like these are big movies, but are they? I mean, they're not big action movies. They are very intimate stories in a way. There's been big movies that try to, you know, have a lot to say. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, those those sorts. Um, you know, I, I like like the Bridge and the River Kwai is like one of my favorite like epic movies. And that movie is Great. like crazy. Yeah, I actually okay. like it more than Lawrence mm. of Arabia. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, so th- those are movies that build and build and then just fucking break your heart. Like Moon, um, there's a few other examples that just, you know, they they live in this world where they create all these situations, all these interactions between characters, and it all adds up to something. And I don't feel like these two movies add up to that much. It's there, yeah. and you huh? suck out of it, like, if you really look for it. But, uh, and that's why the pretty images are there to, you know, keep you occupied. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but they, they just don't reach any sort of conclusion, catharsis. Uh, I, I don't know, for, for me. But 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 uh, but I've already acknowledged that I can totally understand what Jason saw in it and maybe others see in it. But I, I think we've all acknowledged that whether it's lack of tension in the original or being slightly boring for detective story, or the fact that just the running time being so different, but they feel like almost the same length, uh, is all admissions that these movies are uh, imperfect. Uh, you know, for all this discussion, sorry, I, I keep coming back to uh, actually Minority Report. Mm-hmm. As Yeah, that's like, a good example. I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I should have thought of that. I, I mean, I, I, I watch Minority Report once a year at least and i've i've seen it every year since it came out wow i i basically have it memorized it's your uh, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and i mean i mean that's a movie that is a perfect example of it's entertaining and when you get to the end of the movie it's like all right if you're just there to watch Tom Cruise run and kick ass like he like he's been doing for 60 years now, you're going to get your fill. If you want to think about the movie, it is 100% about free will. And it has a statement to make at the end of the movie. So it 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 feeds both stomachs <laughs> you know it it it's something that is entertaining from beginning to end but if you want to go that extra step and really examine what the movie is trying to say 
it's that much better. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, 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 it's crazy that it's criminal that I haven't thought about like big action move, sci-fi movies. No, that's, and I rated, um, that movie a nine. So it goes to show you, um, I was looking it up. Um, but, but yeah, that's a very good example of a big action sci-fi movie that really had something to say and, and dug really, really deep, but was also extremely entertaining while doing it. It's, it's possible to do it. Is it an all time classic? You know, it's 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 not a two thousand one, but it's it's up there. I, I think Goldberg. So you know, um, it's it's definitely one of his best movies. Uh, yeah, that's how it's done. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's how a, a good technician takes a story and and elevates it and, and stays focused on on the subject matter and and what it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah, that's also kind of an interesting movie in that the entire. Uh, I mean, even the title is a MacGuffin. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it didn't actually matter for the. It, it, uh, okay, I, I'm I'm digressing. I, I'll stop. But <laughs> oh, the uh, yeah, that, well, that, leave that for the episode we'll do about it. And who knows when? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, for 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 anybody who has listened to this point, uh, go watch Minority Report. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. that's one recommendation we can make. Oh, I wasn't this kind of stuff. They are kind of long, especially the the sequel. But it's it's definitely um they're definitely a, a visual feast for the eyes, and there's some ideas in there for sure. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. the conclusion. I was I was gonna say real quick the um you you guys were talking about the the cinematography comparing the first one and the sequel, you know, and mm-hmm. how um uh, I, I would agree with you that Roger Deakins uh while he makes beautiful movies that they're not like big flashy movies in in the cinematography really not usually anyway um but well, he um, picks his moments he's the yeah, type well, of cinematography. he picks his moments instead of like you know dropping a silhouette here and there yeah, but, well, he, but he's not very yeah, showy through the entire so, thing yeah yeah flares and stuff beautiful um but no i was just gonna say it's it's just interesting because i completely agree with you that he uh th- about that aspect of him and this was the movie that finally got him his his Oscar, which is sad. Why? It's a beautiful movie. Uh, yeah, and, no, it goes back and, to what the discussion. Like you know, remember movie. when uh, when Children of Men, Children of Men lost to uh, Pan's Labyrinth, and you know, oh. yeah, Pan's Labyrinth had better lighting, but Children of Men reinvented how to use a camera. That's I true. mean, come on, that's yeah. cinematography is also moving the camera. But but yes, there is a thing about and and I said this about Spielberg before. Moving the camera is a director's medium and lighting is a cinematographer's medium. Even though cinematographers have a lot of say as to where to place the camera sometimes or how to move the camera or a choice of lenses. Um, but, you know, let's face it, Fincher chooses how to move his camera. Spielberg yeah. chooses how to move. There's some, you know, like I think Zemecka said like that he let Dean Cundey basically do all the cinematography, like all, choose all the camera angles and all the movements in Back to the Future movies. But not everybody's Robert Zemeckis. Like, yeah. you know, most directors are very specific about what... So that's why I think the Academy rewards lighting and not and not camera. Yeah, or... In my personal experience, uh, yeah, the director picks where, uh, picks where the camera goes and I fix it with the lighting. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, and Roger Deakins is really good at it. But but yeah, so, so and yeah. I really think that he fed into it from the original. That he said like, well, this movie, it, it's a character in the movie, the lighting and the yeah. locations and all that. It 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 creates this like eerie mood about like the in the viewer that 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 transport this alternate universe that will never really exist. LA is never going to look like that, but it's okay. Cause it's the movies and it's, it's, it's nice to take yourself to a different place. And he fully embraced it. And that's why he went over the top with the moving lights, moving hard lights and the, um, and the, the reflections. And he basically went all out cause he, he had the license to do it. It was the right movie for it. Uh, so, so much like he picks his moments for silhouettes and 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 movies and and flashy lightings, he picked the movie to go all flashy all the time, <laughs> you know. And this was the movie. Uh, so he's just that good. He really knows where to. He picks his moments, whether it's like the specific movie or or shots within a movie.